Our sermon text is Genesis 41. Read the whole chapter, Genesis 41, 1 through 47. This is the living and abiding Word of God. So let's give our careful attention to God's Word as He speaks to us. Then it came to pass at the end of two full years that Pharaoh had a dream. And behold, he stood by the river. Suddenly there came up out of the river seven cows, fine-looking and fat, and they fed in the meadow. And behold, seven other cows came up after them out of the river, ugly and gaunt, and stood by the other cows on the bank of the river. And the ugly and gaunt cows ate up the seven fine-looking and fat cows. So Pharaoh awoke. He slept and dreamed a second time, and suddenly seven heads of grain came up on one stalk, plump and good. And behold, seven thin heads, blighted by the east wind, sprang up after them, and the seven thin heads devoured the seven plump and full heads. So Pharaoh awoke, and indeed, it was a dream. Now it came to pass in the morning that his spirit was troubled, and he sent and called for all the magicians of Egypt and all its wise men. And Pharaoh told them his dreams, and there was no one who could interpret them for Pharaoh. And the chief butler spoke to Pharaoh, saying, I remember my faults this day. When Pharaoh was angry with his servants and put me in custody in the house of the captain of the guard, both me and the chief baker, we each had a dream. And one night, he and I, each of us dreamed according to the interpretation of his own dream. Now there was a young Hebrew man with us there, a servant of the captain of the guard. And we told him, and he interpreted our dreams for us. To each man he interpreted according to his own dream. And it came to pass, just as he interpreted for us, so it happened. He restored me to my office, and he hanged him. Then Pharaoh sent and called Joseph, and they brought him quickly out of the dungeon. And he shaved, changed his clothing, and came to Pharaoh. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, I have had a dream, and there is no one who can interpret it. But I have heard it said of you that you can understand a dream to interpret it. Joseph answered Pharaoh, saying, It is not in me. God will give Pharaoh an answer of peace. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, Behold, in my dream I stood on the bank of the river. Suddenly seven cows came up out of the river, fine-looking and fat, and they fed in the meadow. But behold, seven other cows came up after them, poor and very ugly and gaunt, such ugliness as I have never seen in all the land of Egypt. And the gaunt and ugly cows ate up the first seven, the fat cows. When they had eaten them up, no one would have known that they had eaten them. They were just as ugly as at the beginning. So I awoke. Also I saw in my dream, and suddenly seven heads came up, one stalk full and good. Then behold, seven heads withered, thin, and blighted by the east wind sprang up after them. And the thin heads devoured the seven good heads. So I told this to the magicians. But there was no one who could explain it to me. Then Joseph said to Pharaoh, The dreams of Pharaoh are one. God has shown Pharaoh what he is about to do. The seven good cows are seven years, and the seven good heads are seven years. The dreams are one. And the seven thin and ugly cows which came up after them are seven years. And the seven empty heads after them are seven years. And the seven empty heads blighted by the east wind are seven years of famine. This is the thing which I have spoken to Pharaoh. God has shown Pharaoh what he is about to do. Indeed, seven years of great plenty will come throughout all the land of Egypt. 
But after them, seven years of famine will arise, and all the plenty will be forgotten in the land of Egypt, and the famine will deplete the land. So the plenty will not be known in the land because of the famine following, for it will be very severe. And the dream was repeated to Pharaoh twice because the thing is established by God, and God will shortly bring it to pass. Now, therefore, let Pharaoh select a discerning and wise man and set him over the land of Egypt. Let Pharaoh do this and let him appoint officers over the land to collect one-fifth of the produce of the land of Egypt in the seven plentiful years. And let them gather all the food of those good years that are coming and store up grain under the authority of Pharaoh and let them keep food in the cities. And that food shall be as a reserve for the, la- for the land for the seven years of famine which shall be in the land of Egypt, that the land may not perish during the famine. So the advice was good in the eyes of Pharaoh and in the eyes of all his servants. And Pharaoh said to his servants, Can we find such a one as this, a man in whom is the Spirit of God? Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Inasmuch as God has shown you all this, there is no one as discerning and wise as you. You shall be over my house, and all my people shall be ruled according to your word. Only in regard to the throne will I be greater than you. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, See, I have set you over all the land of Egypt. And Pharaoh took his signet ring off his hand and put it on Joseph's hand. And he clothed him in garments of fine linen and put a gold chain around his neck. And he had him ride in the second chariot which he had. And they cried out before him, Bow the knee. So he set him over all the land of Egypt. Pharaoh also said to Joseph, I am Pharaoh. And without your consent, no man may lift his hand or foot in all the land of Egypt. And Pharaoh called Joseph's name Zaphnath-Paniah. And he gave him as a wife Asenath, the daughter of Potiphar, a priest of On. So Joseph went out over all the land of Egypt. Joseph was 30 years old when he stood before Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And Joseph went out from the presence of Pharaoh and went throughout all the land of Egypt. Now, in the seven plentiful years, the ground brought forth abundantly. So he gathered up all the food of the seven years which were in the land of Egypt and laid up the food in the cities. He laid up in every city the food of the fields which surrounded them. Joseph gathered very much grain as the sand of the sea until he stopped counting, for it was immeasurable. And to Joseph were born two sons before the years of famine came, who Asenath, the daughter of Potiphar, priest of On, bore to him. Joseph made the name of the firstborn Manasseh, for God has made me forget all my toil and all my father's house. And the name of the second he called Ephraim, for God has caused me to be fruitful in the land of my affliction. Then the seven years of plenty which were in the land of Egypt ended, and the seven years of famine began to come. As Joseph had said, the famine was in all lands, but in all the land of Egypt there was bread. So when all the land of Egypt was famished, the people cried to Pharaoh for bread. Then Pharaoh said to all the Egyptians, Go to Joseph, whatever he says to you, do. The famine was over all the face of the earth, and Joseph opened all the storehouses and sold to the Egyptians. And the famine became severe in the land of Egypt. So all countries came to Joseph in Egypt to buy grain, because the famine was severe in all lands. In our New Testament text, First Peter one, five, uh, excuse me, First Peter, chapter five, six through eleven. 
We've already read these words in connection with Joseph's story. They fit so well. I'm reading them again here. 1 Peter 5, 6 through 11. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Resist him, steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. But may the God of all grace, who called us to his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after you've suffered a little while, perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. To him be the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Amen indeed. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we bow before you and we ask that you would speak to us by your word. We pray that we would not hear the words of a mere man, for we do not need the words of man. We need the word of God, our God, our Lord. Speak, O Lord, for your servants are listening. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We've been looking at Joseph's life for a number of weeks now. And it's just a remarkable story. It has this wonderful drama, wonderful narrative to it. Um, he begins as his father's favorite, as, as, as uh, the heir apparent there of, of the patriarch Jacob. And then he's betrayed and sold into slavery by his brothers. And he goes down to Egypt. And, and from there, he, he, he works well. He works with integrity as a slave on Potiphar's house, rises up to a place of of some position in the house, second in command in the house, the steward overall the house there. But then he's falsely accused. And down again he goes, back into prison. He's faithful and then he suffers for it. Um, and then in prison, he works hard. He becomes kind of, uh, he basically starts running the place because he's so trustworthy and, he, and he's faithful. And, and then this opportunity seems to come to cupbearer and the chief baker to Pharaoh himself are, are put in prison with him and he interprets their dreams and what do you know it comes true and he says to the to the uh, to the cupbearer remember me to Pharaoh thinking maybe I'll get a hearing maybe I'll get my, 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 the charges against me will be uh, taken away and I'll be released but he's forgotten again the pattern of providence in his life seems to in some ways argue against the faithfulness of God and argue against waiting on the Lord. He is faithful, and it seems like so many times it, it backfires on him. But Joseph remains, he remains faithful. Um, he's faithful because his faithfulness is not built on himself. Uh, underneath his, his faithfulness is God's faithfulness. That, that's what he's resting on. We, re, we, we saw this uh, in chapter 40 and chapter 39 as well, that, that God is with him. And that no matter how low God's providence brings him, God's presence is still with him. No matter how low his providence brings him, his presence is still with him. And um, that's not just true for Joseph, that's true for all of us. That wherever God's providence brings you, even to the very lowest places his providence might bring you, his presence is still with you. No matter, uh, no matter what you're walking through, the valley of the shadow of death, what does he say? Even there, your hand will guide me. Even there, you're with me. Your rod and staff will comfort me. That is such a precious promise. And we've looked at this now for a couple of weeks, the, the presence of God and the difference it makes for Joseph and the promise that holds out to us of, of God being with you in every circumstance of your life, knowing the shepherding of God and the friendship of God and the closeness of God. 
What is it like to go through life without that? To not know God is with me at every moment. What a precious thing to be part of this covenant of grace. Um, But as precious as that is, to know God is with me in all of these things, knowing his presence with you is a precious thing, but as precious as that is, there's more that God gives us and teaches us in, in, in Joseph's story. He not only gives us the promise that he'll be with us, but also that he's going to save us. His presence is going to lead to our deliverance. Um, He doesn't only say to us, I'll be with you in the valley of the shadow of death, but also, I'll bring you out of it, into green pastures, still waters, until you come to dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Uh, It's it's wonderful to know when you're in the, the storm, the suffering, whatever it is, God's with me here, but it's, but it's something more to know. God is not only with me now, he's going to bring me through. There's an end, a good end. He's going to bring me out the other side. God's, God's presence, his providence is not aimless. God is not just wandering around aimlessly with us in his providence. Faithful friend, but doesn't know where he's going. No, his providence and his presence with us is bringing us to a place of salvation and deliverance, full and final deliverance. Joseph's life is such a powerful picture of this. We've seen now for a couple of chapters God's presence with him. We've been waiting to see God's deliverance. And that is what we see now in chapter 41. This, uh, the, the, the God himself brings him from humiliation to exaltation, from the pit to the palace, and by his presence works his deliverance. And then, not only does he do this, but then he makes him a blessing to all the nations. This is what we're going to walk through tonight together. Uh, Three things. Number one, the first thing we see in the text is the sovereign power of God at work, once again. Uh, The upside-down, sometimes, appearing providence of God at work. Uh, Verse 1 tells us that God waits two full years before he sends Pharaoh the dream that will lead to the events of Joseph coming up out of the prison that he's in. Why? Um, He didn't have to wait two more years. God could have acted at any point there, but he takes those two years, God does, and keeps Joseph waiting. Whatever other reasons in God's almighty wisdom, infinite wisdom for his providence were, I think this much we, we can say, that God is continuing to teach Joseph that God works for those who wait for him. This is not the great escape, right? Joseph's not in there engineering his, his, his next escape route, uh, his next attempt to get out of this place. Um, he's waiting on the Lord. We read this, Isaiah 64, verse 4, about God. From of old, no one has heard of a God like you who works for those who wait for him. All the other gods, they make you work while they wait. They make you serve them. But our God... The only God, he works for those who wait for him. He works for those who patiently trust in his providence and wait for him to work. It has now been 13 years since Joseph was sold into slavery in Egypt. And for all those 13 years, ups and downs, um, God has been teaching him this lesson. Wait on the Lord. Trust in the Lord. I am with you and I will work for your good. Joseph has not been lazy in this time. He's been entrusting his soul to a faithful creator while doing good. 
He's continued in faithfulness to God, but he's in all of it, he's been waiting on the Lord, patient, suffering, and trust. But then the two years pass, and it's Pharaoh's birthday again. And now Pharaoh's turn to have a dream. And, and, and just like that, brothers and sisters, what I want you to see is the ease with which God works this deliverance. All it takes is God giving Pharaoh a pair of dreams, and, and Joseph is, is, is saved. Um, Pharaoh is no obstacle to God. The prison is no obstacle to God. Uh, it is all at God's, at all, all at God's disposal. Um, Pharaoh dreams these two dreams. One is about cows, the other is about corn. Uh, seven good cows eaten by seven skinny cows. Uh, must have been a really disturbing dream. Uh, seven, then, seven heads of, of grain eaten by, uh, by, by seven sickly heads of grain swallowed up and devoured. And, and once the cows devour the good cows, and once the, uh, the, 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 the withered grain devours the good grain, it's, it's not changed. It stays withered. Uh, it's, it stays, uh, stays sickly and scrawny. Pharaoh wakes up from this dream, and he is distressed. The text tells us he's troubled. Uh, he is, uh, the Hebrew word there is, is a strong word. He, he, he's really upset upset. This dream is beating him up. He can't get it off his mind. It's weighing heavy on him. Um, so he gets together all the, all the wise men of Egypt, uh, all, all the magicians, all the priests um, who, who were supposed to be able to interpret dreams. Dreams are belong, you know, this is, this is, this is what they're hired to do, um, but they're not able to do it. This is humbling. Uh, Pharaoh is the king of Egypt, and, and Egypt is perhaps the most powerful nation at, the, at this point. And he's got all his best men on this. And they're stumped. And they can give him nothing. One restless night, a pair of dreams, and all of Egypt is baffled by God. Remember, um, thinking about this, the author here, Moses, and the first generation that's going to be reading this text, right? It's Israelites coming out of Egypt. They had been in Egypt, slaves in Egypt. They had seen the power of Egypt firsthand. They'd also seen the power of God completely overwhelm the uh, apparent power of Egypt. And as they, uh, I'm sure as they, as they read this account of God humbling Pharaoh with a simple dream, uh, they would have been rejoicing to see the power of God, uh, the sovereignty of God over the mightiest kings of, of earth. The text highlights this for us even more as we go on, the, the, the power of God at work here, because um, as the story goes on, verses 9 to 13 show us that uh, Pharaoh is driven to the point where he has to ask a prisoner for help. Um, verses 9 to 13, the cupbearer tells, tells, Joseph, uh, tells Pharaoh that uh, he sinned, he, he, he didn't remember Joseph, he, he, he neglected to tell Pharaoh about Joseph. Now he tells him about, um, about what, is, what, what happened to him, and now he says, Joseph can interpret your dream too. So Pharaoh sends for, uh, sends for Joseph. It's a wonderful reversal. God flipping things upside down. Pharaoh, king of Egypt, asking for help from a nobody prisoner, um, a Jewish prisoner. This is the way God's providence delights to work, brothers and sisters. God delights to turn things upside down from the way the world understands them and, and looks at them. God loves to reverse things. Uh, 1 Corinthians 1 speaks to this. 
God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. That's who God was then. That's who God is now. Um, And he continues to delight to work in this same way. Um, It's important for us to see this. because the church, our church, the church, is not in the position of power in the world. We don't have great resources, don't have great wealth, don't have great wisdom. We're not holding the reins of cultural influence by any means. Um, and, and we don't need to be. We're not called to be. God has given us the foolishness of preaching. He's, he's given us what looks weak from the outside, right? We're not, we're not looking for, 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 for power, influence, money, military might, anything to accomplish the mission he's given us, but the simple thing of proclaiming the word of God. But this is the way God delights to work. Um, and, he, and, he, and he calls us to this. Humble, uh, average, ordinary people. Um, to be his church. So our boast is not in ourselves, but all in him. And our confidence is all in him. And just as Joseph did not need to fear And just as the Israelites under Moses did not need to fear Pharaoh, so we do not need to fear uh, any of the powers that be, uh, because God loves to work with weak means. Second thing in the text I want to draw your attention to is that here we see the Lord raising up his people from humiliation to glory. God raises his people up. He works to reverse things, and he works to bring his people from humble place to a place of salvation and glory. Um, we see God's providence here, his power, as he brings Joseph up from the, from the pit. Um, the word in verse 14, which talks about the dungeon there, uh, the Hebrew word for the dungeon is literally the pit. Um, Joseph is, is brought from the pit. They rush him through. They shave him as fast as they can. They put new clothes on him, and they, they're, they're sending him as quickly as they can to, to Pharaoh because this is, uh, Pharaoh's desperate to get an answer. Um, notice what's going on as Joseph's being brought out. Remember what happened 13 years ago. Where did his brothers throw him? Into a pit. What did they do to him before they threw him in the pit? Well, they ripped his robes off. Stripped him of that status. Stripped him of his of of of, of, of his uh, uh, firstborn uh, status. Uh, stripped him naked. Threw him in the pit. Sold him into slavery. And now, what is God doing? He's bringing him up from the pit, putting new clothes on him, and sending him to Pharaoh. God is reversing what happened. What happened before? And then, as he goes before Pharaoh, God gives Joseph the ability to interpret the dream. Um, we read about this as Pharaoh, Pharaoh tells him, this is why I brought you here. I've, I've heard it said. You can understand a dream to interpret it. Um, notice the emphasis there. Pharaoh doesn't see this as God's work. Pharaoh sees this as Joseph. This is what you, you were able to do. The temptation for Joseph would be, hey, this is my chance. Um, it didn't work out last time, trusting in the Lord to bring me out of the prison. So I'm going to take the credit now. Yes, Pharaoh, I can give you the interpretation of the dream. And then... Use this to leverage his release from prison. But he doesn't do it. He actually contradicts Pharaoh, king of Egypt. He says, no, not me, God. Gives all the credit to God and to God alone. 
He says that he actually tells Pharaoh I, 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 that, he, that he himself cannot give him the interpretation. Only God. Only God is able to do this. Pharaoh then tells him the dream. And Joseph says, gives him the interpretation. Seven years of plenty. Seven years of famine. And Joseph emphasizes God's work in all this. God's power over Pharaoh in this. Uh, verse 25. God has shown Pharaoh what he's about to do. Verse 32. The dream was repeated to Pharaoh because the thing is established by God. God will shortly bring it to pass. God is going to do this, Pharaoh. He is at work. He is, he is mightier than your gods. He is mightier than you. He's mightier than the Nile River, which you think gives you all your prosperity. This is God. And he's at work here. Pharaoh recognizes this. And he sees that Joseph is filled, filled, filled with wisdom. Um, and as Joseph goes on and gives him this plan that he has uh, to solve the problem, it's audacious of Joseph, isn't it, to jump right into giving him the solution? But the Spirit has filled him with wisdom for this matter. And God leads him into this. And, and Pharaoh says, here is, here is the man that we need for this moment. God himself filling you with the Spirit. And he gives him the highest position in all Egypt. Just, uh, just, just under him, over all Egypt. And again, we see him clothed with royal garments, rich garments. And he's given this place of power and rule uh, and uh, brought into the upper echelons of Egyptian power. But it's not Pharaoh. It's God doing this. Joseph gives God all the glory for it. Joseph recognizes that God is the one who's bringing, who has brought him from the pit of despair all the way up to this position of power and influence and blessing. Um, we see this as, as he has two sons and, and how he names his sons. He names the first one Manasseh. Um, not an Egyptian name. It's a Hebrew name. Joseph is faithful to the Lord. Um, uh, and, and the name means something like this, that uh, God has made me forget all my toil and all my father's house. God has made me to forget the suffering and the affliction and the misery. Joseph's not forgetting God or, or, or the covenant. He's saying God has, has erased, he's, he's washing away now the suffering that I went through before. Second name of, of his second son is similar, Ephraim. He says, because God has caused me to be fruitful in the land of of my affliction. He's rejoicing that God's presence has brought about deliverance and has washed away all the pain of the past for him. God has brought him from humiliation to exaltation. The very um, practical question that leads us to ask is, well, it worked that way for Joseph. Does it work that way for the Christian? Does it work that way for us? We might be in the middle of the 13 years Affliction, difficulty, suffering, waiting. Will God's presence with me lead me to deliverance too? Well, to answer that question, brothers and sisters, we need to look at the one to whom Joseph's life is pointing. Joseph's life here, especially in, in, in this humiliation and glory, is showing us a pattern of our Lord Jesus Christ. Um, we need to look at Christ and his experience because whatever the answer is to the question for Christ is the answer for us. Did, did, what was, did God, was, was he faithful? Was God faithful to bring Jesus from humiliation to exaltation? Out of suffering into reward and glory? If the answer is yes for him, it has to be yes for us. Because our story, 
becomes his story. When you become a Christian, your life becomes mapped onto Christ's life. His life, I should say, becomes mapped onto yours. Your life becomes shaped by, defined by, uh, charted out by his life. And whatever is true of him becomes true of you by faith. And Christ's life, the pattern? First, humiliation. Just like Joseph, right? He does not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but empties himself and takes the form of a servant, a slave. Made nothing for us. Makes himself nothing. Uh, becomes obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. This is Christ's mission, to go from heaven high, to come down to earth below, and to give himself as a ransom for many. Paul writes in Second Corinthians, You know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for our sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. Uh, this didn't merely happen to Jesus. As a victim, this is something he chose and took on to humble himself for us. This is, this is the story of Christ's life. And then to be betrayed by his brothers and to be, uh, be, be, uh, be, be, be suffering for us on the cross. Um, and so if that's Christ's story, the first act of his story, it's going to be the first act of everyone's story who's in Christ. Humiliation. Cross-bearing. Being in the prison, the pit. And that's where we are following Christ. That's what we should expect. And um, not, not, not that we should expect exceptional suffering, but that all of our life becomes patterned after the humiliation of Christ, even as we see in the life of Joseph. That's the first part of the story. But the second part of the story, of course, is exaltation. God brings Joseph up. God brings Christ up. Raises him up to the highest position, right? Philippians 2.9. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed in him the name that is above every name. And so that's also ours, right? We get Act 1 and Act 2 of Christ's story, made Act 1 and Act 2 of ours. Humiliation, then deliverance, exaltation. Now, we're living in Act 1 right now. We're still in the prison, if you will. But Act 2 has already begun in Christ. And so there's even something of that already breaking in in our own lives. We're already seated with him in the heavenly places, we're told. Colossians. And brothers and sisters, what I want you to see is that just like for Joseph, as Joseph was brought out from his suffering and into his deliverance, and God erased the pain of the past for him, so it is for for all those who are in Christ, that the joy of what is ahead is more than enough to make up for the suffering of what is behind. That the reward we receive in Christ is, is better, far better, uh, and, and will overwhelm all the pain of the past for us. In uh, Dostoevsky's great novel, Brothers Karamazov, there's a chapter, a famous chapter, called The Grand Inquisitor, where a couple of the characters are discussing the problem of evil and the providence of God and suffering. And um, one of the characters at the end of that chapter, towards the end, says some profound words. He says this, I believe, like a child, that suffering will be healed and made up for that in the world's finale, at the moment of eternal harmony, something so precious will come to pass. It will suffice for all hearts, for the comforting of all resentments, for the atonement of all the crimes, for the, all the blood that has been shed. It will make it not only possible to forgive, but to justify all that has happened. It's a wonderful way of expressing that truth that we're talking about, that the, the glory that God has destined His people for will erase all the pain 
wipe away all the tears from their eyes. He did it for Joseph. He's done it in Christ. He'll do it for us. And then the third thing in the passage. The Lord, by His providence, He's brought Joseph now to this place of deliverance. But it's not just for Joseph. He's brought him here to be a blessing to others. Um, Joseph carries out the plan that he laid. Um, he takes the, the, the seven good years come. He, he lays aside the grain of the seven good years. And then when the seven bad years come, um, he's got the grain and he, he, he gives it out. He gives it out to all Egypt. He, all the nations start coming as they all feel the bite of famine. They all come and they, they come to Egypt and they come to Joseph. And Joseph provides life, blessing for all the nations. Remember God's promise to Abraham in Genesis chapter 12. I will make you a blessing to the nations, he says. And you, all the families of the earth, shall be blessed. What we're seeing here in Joseph's life now, so many chapters later, Abraham's great-grandson, Joseph, blessing all the nations, giving life to all the nations as, uh, as God blesses them through him. Um, and it's a picture for us of Christ himself, right? Christ, God, God brings him up from suffering, brings him into glory, and then pours out blessing, life, eternal life on the whole world through the Holy Spirit. This passage calls us then to run to Christ for that blessing. It then also calls us to be a blessing in turn. Uh, we're ambassadors for Christ. We receive this bread of life from him. We receive this goodness from him, the, the gospel from him, the riches of the gospel. And so, like Joseph, we're also we're, we're blessed to be a blessing, to give the grace of God. Now, there's brothers and sisters, you are rich. God has filled you with every good thing he has to give. You are rich with the gospel. You are rich with eternal life and an eternal inheritance. He has blessed you beyond measure. And he's done it so that you would be a blessing to others. Be a, be a blessing bringer. Uh, share the gospel. Give Christ. Call others to the eternal life that's found in him. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word, the riches of your word, the fullness of your word, and all that you teach us. We pray that you would make us to trust you, to walk by faith, not by sight. That we lift up our eyes beyond the present circumstances and see what you've promised and see who you are and walk humbly and faithfully, entrusting ourselves to you. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.